Wouldn't it be great if life came with a list of side effects? Wouldn't that be good? I mean, Pastor Derek and Aaron, or really Aaron, just had a, another baby, their fourth baby, Miles. And can you imagine if Miles came out with a little tag that said, this child will have a life full of fun and adventure and excitement and joy, but there's side effects. And then you look in and you, you peer into the, the tiny writing and you discover this little bundle of joy that you have now, and you read the side effects and says, but there's illness, there's pain, there's broken relationships, there's sorrow, sorrow, betrayal, injury, di disappointment, heartache, crime, even death. Oh, there's a wonderful birth for you right there, right? But actually, Jesus did give us that little tag, that list of side effects. When he said in the Bible, in John chapter 16, he said this, you will have, and let's say this word together, you will have what? You will have suffering in this world. But why? Why the side effects? Why is there so much evil and pain and suffering? Some of you might be wondering this question right now. In your own life, you're sitting here this morning, you've been kind of asking why? Why me? Why now? Or maybe you know somebody who's been wrestling with this question and maybe this question has been a block for that person when it comes to them maybe pursuing a relationship with God and they're having a hard time moving past or understanding an answer to this question. You see, the why question has been asked since the beginning. Job asked it in the Old Testament. The writers of the, of the Psalms, they asked the same question. And even today in our modern era, we're asking the question, you think about the last hundred years and you look at the suffering, you look at a couple world wars, you look at the Holocaust, you look at uh, genocides of, of entire people groups, and, and you look at devastating famines and ethnic cleansing and 9-11 and on and on it goes. Why do all these horrific things happen? if there's such a loving and all-powerful God? Why the suffering? See, if you've never asked this question before, my guess is that you will when suffering or tragedy strikes you or someone you know or loved. Why is there so much pain and suffering? i got to tell you, my most sincere answer that I can give you is I don't know. I don't know. I don't have God's mind. I don't have God's perspective. I want to read you a verse. Before I do, let me tell, tell, say something to set it up so you understand the context. Back then, you and I look in a mirror today and it's perfectly clear. You can see it. Everything makes sense. It's, 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 it's just clear. Back then, they didn't you know, have our technology. They didn't know how to make mirrors where it was a perfect reflection. And so, you know, they kind of would gaze into it and kind of give it an image, and it was kind of foggy or kind of hazy, or you just couldn't see clearly in the mirror back then. So with that in mind, listen to how Paul describes this, the apostle in 1 Corinthians 13. He says this, and he's talking really about what we're talking about today of, of, of life and suffering and all that. He says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. That's what back then, it was, you couldn't see clearly. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Paul says, someday we're going to see things with clarity. We're going to understand things with clarity, but now it's going to be a bit foggy. 
We can't understand everything from God's perspective. But since this morning, I want to try to help us a little bit, that even though we can't understand everything when it comes to suffering, I believe that there is some things that God wants us to know and understand, and hopefully it'll help us. Hopefully it'll provide some comfort for us. And so as we continue in our series reference point, we want to know what if Christ is our reference point and not culture, how do we address this topic? How do we better understand the topic of suffering with Christ as our reference point? First, before we dive into Romans 8, let me kind of set the stage here because it's a question that's oftentimes asked about, about evil and suffering. And we need to understand first and foremost that God is not the creator of evil or suffering. There's no passage in the Bible that says that God created evil. And this helps answer the question we so often hear, or maybe we've asked ourselves, why didn't God just create a world where no suffering and evil exist? Why didn't he create that world? And some of you know the answer. He did create that world. In Genesis chapter 1, when, after God had created, listen to what it says. It says, God saw all that he had made, all that he had made. And let's say this word together. And it was very what? It was very good. So God is not the author of tragedy or evil or suffering. And if not, then where did it come from? Well, let me journey with you for a moment. When God decided to create us human beings, he wanted us to have the capacity to love. And God knew in order for us to have the capacity to love that we had to be given the free will or free choice so that we could decide whether or not to love him or not love him, whether or not to obey him or not obey him. Unfortunately, what did we do with the free will? We know in Scripture that humankind chose to reject God, to walk away from God. And by choosing to walk away from God, reject God, that introduced two types of evil into the world, moral evil and natural evil. What's moral evil? Moral evil is the immorality and the pain and the suffering that comes as a result of our selfishness, our arrogance, our uncaringness, if you will, our hatefulness, our abusiveness. Romans chapter 3 just says, summing it all up, it says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I want you to think about it. Moral evil that most of the suffering of the world results from our sin of selfishness. Think about that for a moment. I, I was thinking about, sometimes people say, I, I can't imagine that God would allow so much suffering. How, many so, how could so many people, how could God allow so many people to you know, die of starvation? And starvation is a very real issue in many, most of the world today. And people die literally because they don't have the food. Did you know that the world produces more than enough food for every single person on planet Earth to have plenty of calories every day to live a healthy life. Did you know that? I think some of us do know that. Well, then what's the problem? Why can't we solve this problem? Well, on the kind of mass scale, it's our irresponsibility. It's our self-centeredness individually and, and you know, even nationally, if you will. It's our sin that prevents all people from being fed. Let me illustrate another way. Imagine you have your hands, and, and you can do something with your hands. This kind of continues. You, let's say you have a gun. 
you can make the choice to shoot that gun and, and, and shoot someone, or you could choose to say, take those same hands, referring back to this feeding people, and we could choose to feed people. It's a choice. But it's flawed logic to shoot somebody and, by our choice and then blame God for the evil and suffering in the world. It was by our hand. It was by our selfishness. It was by our sin. And so by humankind rejecting God, it led to moral evil, which has resulted in, in just countless types of human suffering throughout history. There's a second kind of evil. We would call it natural evil. Genesis chapter 3 says this. It says, because of our human sin, that God gave us the free choice to choose them or not choose them, we chose to disobey. Because of our human sin, that nature itself was corrupted. And in that verse, it talks about how it was corrupted with thorns and thistles and how that entered the, the earth. And the earth was cursed. That literally nature itself began to revolt as a result of our sin, as a result of the curse. As a result of that, things even like earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, they've caused immense amount of suffering. Romans chapter 8 says this, it says, for we know that up to the present time, all of creation groans. Like with pain, like the pain of childbirth. The earth, world, the world, nature itself, even it has been corrupted by our choices, by our sin. So, on a big scale, pain, suffering, even death, entered into the equation that God didn't intend but it entered into the equation so that and it, we experience that because of our sin. Now, legitimate question. I know you have it because I've thought it. Couldn't God have foreseen all this? I mean, couldn't he have foreseen it and, and done something about it? Well, no doubt he did foresee it, but I want you to think about it this way. If you're thinking, well, what would we expect God to do? If you're a parent, before you had a child or children, did you know there was a very real possibility that that child would suffer disappointment in their life? Did you know that? Did you know they would suffer pain? Did you know they would suffer heartache in their life? Did you know that there's a possibility that they would even choose to, to hurt you, to walk away from you? Did you know that was a possibility? Of course you did. Okay, so you knew there could be pain, suffering. Well, then why in the world do you have kids? Why? Because you knew something else. That there was this potential for tremendous joy, for deep love, for great meaning. And so it's the same with God. He knew we'd rebel against Him. His plan to deal with that was sending His Son Jesus to die on a cross so that we could live to forgive us of our sins. And He knew through that plan that many would choose to love Him, to follow Him, and thus be able to spend eternity with Him. So with Christ as our reference point, we need to start by remembering that God did not create evil or pain or suffering. With that in mind, let's turn to Romans chapter 8 if you haven't already done so. Romans chapter 8. This is really kind of the central passage in the New Testament when we talk about having a Christ-centered reference point on this topic of suffering. 
Uh, Let me uh, give a verse to you first before we dive into Romans 8. Paul says this. He says, I want you to understand the big picture. Paul says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this. Our light and momentary troubles, to which some of you might say, if you look at your life and go, "My, my light, my troubles are not light and momentary. They're brutal for me. But Paul says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What we're going through now, our eternal glory far outweighs what we're going through now. To which some of you might say, well, okay, Paul, you think it's all light. It's not that big of a deal. I'm going through something that's huge. You don't understand, Paul. You can't relate to me. Well, if you know the story of Paul, you know that he suffered more, maybe more than most, if not all. Because he was a Jesus follower and he served God and went throughout the world, Paul was, was arrested on numerous occasions. Paul was, was left uh, um, uh, uh, naked at times. He was left hungry at times, all because he was serving Christ. When he was arrested five different times, he was given the penalty of, of being whipped across his back 39 times. So that 39 whippings or lashings across his back happened to him five different times. His back was shredded beyond belief. Three different times, he was beaten with rods to the point of death. Paul understood suffering, and yet he says our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs that suffering. Because Paul had something that, that God invites us to have, an eternal perspective. We talked about that last week. I invite you to go back and watch and listen to the message. And so because he had this eternal perspective, Paul could write this in our verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, so listen to this, I consider that our present, let's say this word together, I consider that our present what? Our present suffering. So we're talking about sufferings. What we're going through now is not worth comparing with what? With the glory that will be revealed in us. See, he understood suffering is a reality. It's a part of this fallen world. And Paul says our current suffering pales in comparison to what God has in store for his followers. Uh, Think about it this way. Imagine if on the first day of the year that you have like the worst day you've ever had. And the day started off and you, you had a root canal scheduled and you go into the doctor and you get in there and, and they shoot you up with the Novocaine or whatever it is and, and you're sitting there and all of a sudden they start grinding away and you hear all that sound and all of a sudden this massive pain shoots in your mouth and it's not working. And, and your you're, you're, you're mouth's on fire, it goes terrible, horrible. You walk out of there, you're in massive pain. You get in your car, you try to drive home. You get in a car accident. You're like, oh my goodness, and then you get home and, and, and you're, you jump online and you check out your stocks and notice that it all tanked and now your net worth is nothing because it all fell apart. And then your spouse who was supposed to take care of you after the root canal got sick that day and so they can't help you out and you're stuck and you're all alone. And then uh, a friend texts you and says, hey, you know what, uh, I just, uh, I'm not into our friendship anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, nice knowing you. From start to finish, it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. (laughs) But then for you, the rest of the year was incredible. You actually had another friend who wasn't bailing on you, and and they won the lottery, and it was so huge. They're like, man, I just want to be generous to my friends. Here's a million bucks. 
You have your first child, and the child is healthy and strong. And you think about your marriage, and your, your marriage is incredible, and you just love your spouse, or, or you're going to be getting married, and you're planning the wedding, and everything's going great, or uh, your, your health is strong, and everything's going well. And then to top it all off, you had the longest vacation you've ever had to Hawaii. Everything was perfect. <laughs> Amen. You're like, yeah, I can take that. And if someone asked you, how did that year go for you? I know what your answer will be. This is the most amazing year I've ever had in my life. And they're like, yeah, but didn't it start off bad? Didn't you have a lot of suffering? Remember that first day and you think about it and you say, you know what, you're right. It was a bad day, no doubt about it. And here's the key, it was difficult at the time. But man, when I look out at the totality of the year, when I put everything in its context, it was a great year. All the great days outweighed the bad days. That one day, here it is, Paul's word, pales in comparison to the rest of the year. Now this is not to deny the reality of any pain in our life. For you, there might be terrible suffering mentally, emotionally, maybe for some of you physically and you're in chronic pain every single day. But in heaven... After 10 million days of pure bliss and with infinite more to come, if someone asked you, hey, how's your existence been? Aren't you going to say it's been incredible? Words can't describe the joy. But yeah, I, I remember you had told me when you first got here that life was rough for you on earth. You had a rough day, week, month, year, decade life. And you say, yeah. When I put that into context, that life isn't even worth comparing with the eternity of blessings and joy and fulfillment that I've experienced since. You see, God promises us a time is coming where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more crying, no more suffering. The sufferings of this life they don't compare to the greatness of the glory of God that will be revealed in us. And if that becomes our reference point for our life, if that perspective becomes our reference point, then that will revolutionize the way you look at and you deal with and handle your suffering. Suffering pales in comparison to our future, which is really to say our suffering is, is really temporary. Romans chapter 8 says this, it says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And we live in a frustrating world, don't we? I mean, we just do. Stuff doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. 
I mean, you buy something, what does it inevitably do? It breaks down, right? I mean, we bought a new fridge a year ago. We're a year into this, and all of a sudden, I go to open the fridge, and the lights don't work. Um, I look at the thermometer that I have in there, and it says it's 48 degrees. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going on? It's, this isn't working. It's a brand new fridge, and I don't know what to do. What do you do if your fridge doesn't work? You know, what do you grab a screwdriver, and then what? <laughs> you know, I don't know what to do, and I was like, well... I guess I'll just unplug it and see what happens, right? So I unplug it. I plug it back in. All of a sudden, the lights come up and it starts working again. I'm like, oh, sweet, this is good. Go away on the retreat. Come back home. Open the fridge. Lights are off. Fridge is about 50 degrees. I'm like, what's going on here? Heather, how long has this been like? She's I don't know, like a day or something. I said, baby, it's not working again. So then I'm like, oh, I know how to fix this. I unplug it. Plug it back in, it works again. So what am I going to do tomorrow morning? I'm going to call them to come out and fix it. It's frustrating. And here's what I already know what's going to happen because we're kind of run by Murphy's Law in this universe, right? I know what's going to happen. I'm going to call them, tell them the problem. It doesn't work. It heats up. And now I gotta, you know, I'm losing food. It's getting defrosted. I'm going to call them out and they're going to show up. And will the fridge be working or not working when they show up? It'll be, well, you guys have been there? You've taken your car in before, right? Hey, I have this problem. The mechanic's like, it works fine to me. Frustration. It, 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 frustration, that's kind of what Paul's talking about when he says creation is, is subjected to frustration, meaning nothing lasts, nothing works right. Stuff doesn't work the way it's supposed to work, and we don't work right either. We don't work right either. Children are born with horrible defects. We get sick and diseased. You live long enough. And you might end up in a home of some sort. You live long enough. You might have a stroke or cancer or a heart attack. Verse 21 speaks of this bondage to decay. We live in a decaying, frustrating world. That's not as God intended it to be. But what do these verses say? What's the key to grab a hold of this morning? It says in verse 19, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. You see, what Christ is our reference point, our viewpoint on suffering can be, yes, it's bad, but it's not going to last forever. A liberation is coming. Yes, it's terrible, but this isn't the final chapter in the story. Yes, we suffer but our suffering is temp temporary. God says, I have something better for you. Now, I know if you're like me, you hear all this and you get it mentally, you understand it. But how does that help me when I'm suffering right now for what's coming? Well, that's kind of where God's taking us this morning. And the other part of suffering is in your suffering, something happens to us. And God does something, allows something to happen. God uses our suffering to develop us, to mature us. What am I talking about? In Romans chapter 8, it says this. Paul goes on and says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. You say, he, says, he says, man, we groan because of the job we hate. We groan because of our unfulfilled dreams. We groan because these bodies break down. We groan because our, our marriage isn't working or our children have gone astray. We groan because our friends disappoint us or even walk away from us. There's so 
much suffering. Why, God? Why don't you do something about it? God, don't you know what we're going through? Don't you care? And yes, you need to understand God doesn't know exactly what we're going through. Mark talked about it in his devotion for communion. God understands our pain. He even feels our pain. He's been there. Then why, God? Why, 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 why do you allow it? First, we need to understand, as we've already said, God doesn't cause the suffering. But God allow, does allow it, and he uses our pain for a purpose. He uses our pain and suffering for a purpose. God's going to use it to teach us, to develop us, to grow us, to mature us. Here's the key. Look at verse 24. Paul says, here it is. It's developed in two ways in us. Verse 24, Romans 8. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what you already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Suffering teaches us. Suffering develops something in us. And what is that? The first one is, it's used five times in this verse, starts with an H. What is the word? Hope. Suffering teaches us, it develops in us hope and patience. Hope and patience. Hope is the, uh, biblical hope is a settled confidence that looks to the future knowing that God is going to keep his promises, what we were talking about earlier. And patience, then, is the ability, as we hope, it's the ability to endure what we're going through today because we have hope in the future. I get it. Our natural inclination is to put our hope in ourselves or maybe our hope in the things of this world. But the reality is, it's when we're suffering, that's when we really turn to the Lord and ask for His help. That's when we lean on Him more. That's why through suffering, our hope muscles and our patient muscles grow and they develop. Paul says our hope is in God and our patience is, is developed. He says, as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. That's interesting. This whole thing of suffering Stuff breaks, we break, we fall apart. God says even our bodies are going to be redeemed. So yes, there's suffering. And part of that suffering is even what happens in our physical bodies. Our bodies are decaying. You figure that out, haven't you? Our bodies are subjected to frustration as they wear out, as they sag, as they you know, expand and bulge in places we don't want them to expand and bulge, as they wrinkle. You know, when I was a kid, I would look at my grandpa, and I can remember this. I would look at my grandpa, and I had these thoughts. I don't understand. Okay, this is a kid. I'm a little kid. Maybe you thought this too. I don't understand how, quote, old people, okay, because I'm a kid. I don't understand how old people can have a whole head of hair on their eyebrows. I couldn't understand why my grandpa's ears were so big and hair was growing out of them. Some of you are like, you know, I didn't understand that. Well, I understand it now. These bodies are subjected to frustration, to decay. And they're falling apart. And as we suffer in this body, yes, even physically, we live in hope, Paul is saying, and we wait patiently for that day when this worn out body that you and I have will no longer decay. 
and it will be changed, it will be transformed into a brand new, incorruptible body. So our suffering develops in us something important. It matures us. It develops our hope and patient muscles. It strengthens our faith. And it does something else. Our suffering also in this growing process, one of the things that happens is it activates the Holy Spirit. Our suffering activates the Holy Spirit. Here's a couple things that happen when you suffer, when I suffer. I, I, I think you would say this is true of you. It, when you suffer, you realize your weakness, right? Because I, I feel like I'm pretty self-sufficient. I can take care of myself. I can solve this problem. I can handle it in my own strength, whatever it is. But guess what? I realize when I'm suffering, oh my goodness, I can't fix everything. I can't solve this problem. I realize I'm weak. I'm helpless. Have you ever suffered to that degree where you realize you're helpless? There's nothing I can do here. Second, when we're suffering, we think we're all alone. That nobody understands what we're going through. That no one else has experienced exactly what we're experiencing. And so there is this sense even if you have an incredible family and friends around you who are there to help you, to support you, to encourage you, deep down, if you've experienced deep suffering, deep down you have felt that feeling that says, I'm all alone in this. You ever been there? You ever know that even surrounded, internally you feel alone? But listen what the Apostle Paul says to you and I. He says, Romans 8, 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, in our suffering. Our suffering activates the Holy Spirit because that word helps, and the Bible literally means to come to the aid of somebody who's in desperate need. Somebody who's suffering. So Paul says, man, when you're suffering, the Holy Spirit comes to your aid. How does it happen? He goes on in verse 26 and he says this, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us, with us, excuse me, for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Have you ever been in a desperate situation to the degree that you couldn't pray? Have you ever been in so much pain and suffering that there were no words? Have you ever been in a situation where you're so frightened that you've suffered so much that in that suffering, all you can do, all that can come out is, oh God. You ever been there? I've been there a few times in my life. One is still very vivid to me. About 10 years or so, my mom called me up and said, hey, uh, your dad is not doing well and you need to come down right now. I was in a staff meeting. I said, I got to go. Mom said, I need to get down there. Jumped on, went and got a ticket, flew down, get there that evening. I see my dad. He looks terrible. He looks awful. Had no idea it was that bad, which is a bummer because he went into the hospital for a simple knee surgery. Complications developed. The next morning, they brought us together and said, we need to intubate your dad. He's going downhill fast. Shortly thereafter, they basically let us know he's going to die. 
And I can remember to this day, over those next couple days, all I could do, I couldn't pray. I had no words. I can remember just this sense of calling out to God and saying, oh God, with tears, oh God. I didn't have words because the pain was so great. The suffering is so great. And Paul is telling you and I that in our weakness, when we are suffering, when we feel so desperate about something that matters so much to us, when we don't know what to say and all we can cry out is, oh God, Paul's saying, no worries. The Holy Spirit is coming alongside of you and taking care of all your prayers for you. The Holy Spirit is praying to God on your behalf in your suffering. He is helping you. And it says there that his prayers are going to be in accordance with God's will. Do you ever notice that sometimes when you do pray or or you have the thoughts that that you're asking or praying for things that that may not be in God's will? And and the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit, because he's praying according to God's will in your suffering, in your pain, and you're, you're just, oh God, and you don't know what to pray about. It's like the Holy Spirit comes in and takes any of our prayers and he auto corrects them. I'm going to make sure that here's what they said or here's what they're thinking, but here's what they really mean. So when we're suffering, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, in our pain, speaking to God on our behalf, even when we can't speak ourselves. So as we wrap it up this morning, you have a decision to make. God gave you free will, free choice. Take it back to where we started. And you have to decide You have to make a decision. Am I going to turn bitter and turn away from God? Or am I going to turn to God in my suffering? I can choose to run from God or run to God. If you're here this morning, you say, you know something? I I want Christ as my reference point and I'm understanding this and it's still difficult and hard. I want to run to God. I don't want to turn bitter and run away from God. Listen to what Jesus says when you run to him. John chapter 16, he says this. These things I have spoken to you that in me, in me, in a relationship with me, with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in me, you may may have, and what's the word? You may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Remember, he said, you're going to suffer in this world. But take what? Take courage. I've overcome the world. In other words, God offers us, a relationship with Jesus offers us the two very things that we need the most when we're hurting. We need that sense of peace to come over us when we're suffering, and we need courage in our pain. He offers us His peace to deal with whatever we're going through in the presence, and He gives us the courage. He gives us His courage to deal with the present and the future. To be able to trust that something better is coming to give you the courage today to be patient. So when tragedy strikes you, and it will. When pain strikes you, and it will. When suffering strikes you, and it will. When when heartache strikes you, and it will. When you wrestle with pain, mentally, emotionally, physically, and you will wrestle with that pain, what are you going to choose? You're going to choose to turn bitter and run away from God? Or are you going to choose to run to God? And God will give you His patience. He'll give you His peace. He'll give you the courage to weather those 
temporary storms because God has something in store for us that far outweighs whatever we're going through here today. Don't turn bitter. God invites you to turn to Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you hear our prayers right now as we call out to you? And if you're here this morning and you might be suffering right now with something going on in your life, I want to invite you to take a moment and just say, God, I mean, your own words, but just say something like, God, I, I turn to you. I need your peace to overwhelm my life right now. Give me the courage as I hope for a future that I don't understand today. Fill me, God, with your, with your peace and your courage. Lord Jesus, hear these prayers. And God, I also pray that you hear these prayers right now. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, maybe you've been coming here to LifePoint for a while and Man, God's had your attention, and you know He loves you. You know He wants a relationship with you. But you've never opened your heart fully to Him. You've never trusted Him fully with your life. If you're ready to say, all right, it's time. I know God loves me, and He wants to have a relationship with me. That He loves you even in the midst of your suffering. If you're ready to say, my life, Jesus, I want to give to you, will you pray with me right now? It's not the exact words. It's really more that you kind of mean these words in your heart. Pray something like this. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me, for coming to this earth to die on a cross for my sins. And thank you for rising from the dead and conquering death. And so as best as I understand right now, Jesus, I want to invite you into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I transfer my trust from trusting in myself to trusting in you. I commit my life to you, Jesus. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Give me, God, the strength and the courage and the peace to march through a life that I know is filled with suffering. Thank you for being with me in the midst of it. In Jesus' name. God, would you hear those prayers? As people faithfully cry out to you, as angels in heaven rejoice over those who surrender their life to you. And God, in this moment now, we come to worship you in a different way as we give this offering. May you be glorified in our life through this. In Jesus' name, amen.